I was in a, um, a McDonald's the other day. It's an interesting place to find yourself. Thank you. It's just confessions of a pastor on a Sunday morning, Monday morning. Uh, but I, uh, I was in the McDonald's and I haven't, I don't go to McDonald's very often and I, the drive-thru was real busy so I actually went into a McDonald's, like physically inside it, which really doesn't happen very often and they've changed their whole ordering system, it's now no more people, it's just machines and uh, it was quite efficient as McDonald's are, but uh, I didn't, I was buying food for someone else as well, I didn't really know what to buy so I, I ordered what I, the last thing I had which was a quarter pounder and I also ordered a Big Mac, the classic, I mean McDonald's, you can't go wrong with a Big Mac and when we got when, I, when we got the food open, I, um, I, I had a look at this Big Mac. And I don't know if you've been to McDonald's recently, but uh, it, it, they, they should probably change the name. Um, maybe more like a slightly below average Mac. It had all the ingredients of a Big Mac. It had the two patties and the three pieces of burger and the gherkins and the onions. And, but I, I got pretty big hands and that thing was not a Big Mac. It was... It was, it was very underwhelming, to be honest. And uh, I mean, the chips were good, but now I get that you know, times are tight and profit margins are thin, but jeepers, guys, it is like your flagship burger that you produce. It should at least be what the name says it is. But, um, you know, and it was just it was a bit of a letdown when I bought the thing and I was like, oh, jeepers, now I've like, it's too late now, you can't change it, you bought it. And it was a bit of a, bit of a disappointment, honestly, to be, you know, I thought like I'm treat myself to like some McDonald's. I knew I should have bought a McFlurry. But anyway, I thought I'd try and get some food and not some sugar. But, you know, maybe sometimes for you, you go through, your, your faith life feels like that as well, where you hear other people speaking about what it's like for them. But when you get there and you open the packet and you experience it and you think you've got this amazing thing and it, I mean, it looks incredible on the pictures. If you've seen those, it's probably not even real food that they use in those pictures. It's and when you open the packet and open the, the little package that it comes in, man, it's a bit of a disappointment and it's a bit of a letdown. And, and maybe you've experienced that, what, what feels like God is not coming through for you um, on His promises. Maybe you've you felt let down um, when you open the bag of your, of your faith to find something that's only slightly average in your faith life and in your walk and not exactly miraculous. But if that's you, I want to challenge you this morning a little bit to, to refocus um, your spiritual lenses, so to speak, the lenses of your heart, onto the real reason for the season. And the true, you know, we know the reason for the season is Jesus. We get that. Um, but I want to look really more at what is the, like, what is the meaning of, of Jesus' coming? Like, what, is that, what does that show us about God? And, you know, this, I really detest the, the commercialization of Christmas. Like, it is bad. It, it's, it starts... Early October. I mean, they're already starting with like Valentine's decorations, and it's a like, Christmas is only just happening, and you're know, unpacking, and it's so it's it's like over commercialized, and um, it's taken something that's good and that's right, and just warped it in a, in a sinful way, and and it's just it's such a picture for me of, of what happens with so much of the world. But anyway, I, I get uh, getting off topic on my rant, but there's so little of Christ left in Christmas that it has a hollow feeling to it. And it's amazing how we can go through the ritual of the thing, of, of celebrating Christmas, but if we lose the meaning and we lose the, the essence of what that thing is about, it's hollow and disappointing for us. The message rings true. And this, this disappointment, very often for many people, leads to disillusionment. 
They, they go through life and they, they, they expect things of God and they expect things of church and they expect things of other believers and we get disappointed by those things and we become disillusioned with faith and we think there's something wrong with God and with what He's doing. You know, we get so used to promises being broken and us being disappointed with promises um, where they're made and not met that we almost come to expect it. And if you're anything like me, I have a difficult, um, uh, sorry, I have a problem, not a difficulty, I have a problem with cynicism. I get very cynical about things. And, you know, I see things and, and it's something that Jesus is working on in my heart, but it's come from just promises and, and expectations being broken over and over again. You know, as parents, we, we make promises to our kids. And we're gonna, they come and they ask, hey, will you play with me? Yes, I'm coming now. And we get busy and we get distracted and we never get to playing with that kid. And it seems like a small thing, but that's a promise broken and causes disappointment and disillusionment. Perhaps you've um, expected the pro- politicians to follow through on the promises that they deliver. Unfortunately, they deliver, on the pro- they deliver promises better than they deliver on their promises. They're real good at making promises, but not real good on making good on their promises. And the spirit of our times promises that fame and fortune and followers will make us happy and content. But we know that none of those things bring fulfillment. Over and over again, the enemy brings disappointment through leaders, through people that are close to us, through people that we trust in. And the hopes that we have and get dashed and we become disillusioned with life and we we almost shrink back into ourselves and shrink back into a, a silent, quiet life where we hold back from everything and we maybe get a glimpse on the 15 days that you're allowed to a year of what life should really be like. But it's, it's into this life and into this moment that our king breaks in and our king is born in. And that's what we're here to remember today. And, and so for me, the meaning of Christmas is, is essential for us to understand. And, and the birth of Jesus shows us that God never forgets His promises. It's a, it, it brings an incredible hope because when promises come true that God makes, they're greater than we could ever have imagined. You know, most of the Jews in the first century when Jesus was born, okay, they, were, they didn't call it the first century because they didn't know they'd be counting from zero then. But around that time, just before Jesus was born and when He was born, most of the Jews and the Jewish nation, they had this messianic hope. They had this hope for a Messiah, the Savior that God would send. But they expected Him to be a political and a, a military Messiah who would come and set them free from this Roman Empire. The Romans were heavily oppressive, taxing them, not very nice people at all. And the Jews were going, God, send us this, this man to come and liberate us. Send us this king to come and free us from Roman oppression. And, and their hope wasn't bad. You know, they, they, what they did wrong was they took God's promises because those, those were the promises of God, but they filtered them through their own perceptions and through their own felt needs in that moment. That was what they as a people and as a nation felt that they needed was liberation from the Romans, and then everything would be fine. If we had this amazing king, we could then be an amazing nation. Can you imagine what would have happened if God had met their expectations? Israel would have been an incredible empire. It, would have, it probably would have been the, one of the greatest empires the world's known. They would have certainly been free from Roman oppression, and they would have been ruled by the Messiah, the shining light of God's glory. It sounds pretty good. It sounds amazing for the Jews. But their vision, you see, was too small. God's vision for His Messiah and the promise that He was sending was far bigger than what they had. His vision was, 
Yes, I'm going to send you a Messiah to the nation of Israel, but he's going to be for the whole world. He's not just going to be for you, Israel. And that's good news for us because we get to benefit from that today. It's good that God didn't meet, sorry, their expectations of his promises. Sending a Messiah to die for the sins of the world by God coming in human form, being fully God, fully man at the same time. Christ bought us back and we are his. We're restored, we're redeemed, we're in right relationship with the Father for eternity. The Jewish expectation would have been for a good nation, but God's promise and plan was for the entire world. You see, too often we limit the promises of God with our myopic expectations. We have short-sighted expectations of how those promises are going to work out in our lives. Friends, what God wants to do in and through you is far bigger than you can imagine. We live small because we expect little of God. We want Him to affect our daily lives, but we don't want Him to affect the world through us. See, Christ and Christianity is far bigger than we imagine. It's not just about a ticket to heaven one day. It's not just about riding this spiritual ark. Someday Jesus is going to come back and take us all up. It's about living here and now and having an impact for the kingdom and expanding the rule and the reign of Christ through your life, with your words and your actions, in your everyday life. That's what it means. But most of us live small, quiet lives of desperation. Tim Keller says this. He says, the reason most Christians don't live big lives is that they don't understand Christianity. It's like no other thing. Christianity is like no other thing. Most people think it's like most other things. It's like most other religions. But Jesus says that his message is absolutely different. It is totally new. Everyone who has truly become a Christian has had a sense of waking from a sleep. Do you see how radical this gospel is? So what are the promises of God? I just felt this morning, we're going to run through that. It's a fair bit of scripture. You can try and follow along in your Bible, or otherwise you can just watch. We're going to put a lot of it up there, but we're going to be jumping all over the Bible. But if you're quick at clicking, you can come with me. So we're going to start at the beginning and go all the way through. It's good to read scripture in church, yeah? You're okay with us? Good. We're going anyway. So what are the prophecies that God and the promises that God makes about this coming Messiah? this one that he's going to send. You know, the first time that God promises this is right almost in the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. Sin comes in and breaks. God pronounces the curses. He says this is what's going to happen. But in the midst of those curses, there's a promise in Genesis 3.15 where he's God speaking to, the, to Satan, to the enemy. And he says this. He says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Theologians call this the proto-evangelion, so the, the first or the, the, the beginning of, the, of the, the gospel, effectively, is where it starts. It's the first promise of the gospel. It's the first hint of this Messiah. You see, Jesus wasn't God's plan C. It wasn't like he went, Adam and Eve, oh, they messed it up. Okay, let's try Israel, oh, they messed it up. Okay, listen, I'm tired of messing it up. Jesus, you're going to have to go. You see, Jesus was God's plan from before the foundation of the earth. And then to Jesus' birth, the, the prophecies of Jesus' birth, Isaiah is the, the obvious place to go, Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. 700 years before Jesus was born, God prophesied this moment that's coming. Mary the virgin, going to give birth to a son. Isaiah 9, you know it very well. 
For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Beautiful prophecy there that speaks both of Jesus' humanity. It says, to us a child is born, a son is given. But it also speaks of his godness, his deity. He says, he's going to be called mighty God, everlasting father. Micah 5, 2, 3. I'm sure many of you read it this morning. Also around 700 years before Jesus was... Sorry, if I offend you with jokes and comments, I apologize. We, we take Jesus very serious, but we don't take ourselves very serious. So you, you're welcome to laugh at me if you want. Um, so... Micah 5, 2 2 to 3, also around 700 years before Jesus was born, he says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from days of eternity. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son. On and on the promises go, the prophecies go, this Messiah is coming. And there's just a small sampling. There's way more in the, the Old Testament. It says when Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus after he had died, and before, he was resurrected, but before his ascension, he's walking with the disciples. And it says he explained to them out of Moses and the prophets. That's effectively what we know as the Old Testament. Everything in the scriptures that was pertaining to him, showing how everything points to Jesus. It also speaks of his death, the promise Roughly a thousand years before he was born in Psalm 22, 16 to 18. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. They pierce my hands and my feet. Crucifixion hadn't even been invented when this was spoken and written down. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. You know, interestingly, in all four Gospels, it confirms that this prophecy happened. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all speak of how when the Roman soldiers crucified Jesus, they divided up his clothes, and then they cast lots for some of his clothes as well. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Luke and John literally quote Psalm 22 verse 18 there. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, speaking of how Christ would die, all the way through to promises for us now. What would this promise be? What would it be for the people? So this is what's going to happen. This is the Messiah. This is how he's coming. This is how he's going to die. What would it mean for the people? Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Sounds good, eh? That's the promise that we have in the new covenant. We all get to know God. We don't need somebody in between us and Him. That's the beauty of the new covenant, is that individual relationship restored with God. You don't need a, someone to mediate on your behalf. Jesus Christ is God that is the mediator for us. We get to be with God. It's an incredible thing when we think about it, friends. Hebrews 2, verses 14 to 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, He too shared in their humanity, so that by His death... 
he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Are you in slavery to the fear of death? Are you terrified of dying? Friends, I want to say to you, don't be. It's an easy thing to say. It sounds trite. Death is not comfortable or nice or easy. But it's not the end. Jesus came so that we can live in a way that we don't fear death. You know that no one can have a hold over you if you do not fear death. What's the worst they can do to you? They can't do anything worse than that. Send you to an eternity with the Father. Amen. Another quick dozen promises. I'm just going to read the promises. I'm not going to read the scriptures. Just to, I see some of you are starting to glaze over. Quick dozen promises I came up with. You just got mince pies on the brain. You can smell the gammon. God will forgive sin. God will give us, God will give us peace. They're up there if you want to write the scriptures down. God will give us peace. God will bless us. God will lead us. The Father will never lead us. Jesus is always with us. God will answer prayer. God will help us overcome temptation. God will protect us from Satan. He'll give us eternal life. He'll give us the kingdom, and he'll make us his heirs. Incredible promises, friends, over and over and over again. The promises of God all through Scripture. We, we would be here for days if we were going to list them all. I want to encourage you, if you are reading your Bible often, take a particular color that you don't normally use, like a highlighter or whatever on your app, like a green or a pink or something. And whenever you read something, you go, that's a promise. Highlight it in that color and see how much you can get through without highlighting. I, I, I bet you it's not even a chapter that you'll get through without even highlighting a promise of God in there or something that's applicable for us. On and on into the, the future even of Jesus' return, Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord be with you. Revelations 12, 10, 10 to 13 and 17. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him, that's the believers, overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Verse 17, then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring. That's you and I. Those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Incredible promises. Long before Jesus was, he's going to be born. He's going to grow. He's going to live. He's going to die for this reason. And he's going to come back in the future like this for this reason. It's incredible, friends, when we look at that, that meaning, those promises that God has given us. And he's given them to each and every one of them. They're not for someone else. They're for you and I every single day. And here's the, so then the next question begs then, what is the result of the meaning of Christmas? So if we, if we get that that's, the meaning is that God fulfills his promises, that what he promised a thousand years, 700 years, 400 years before Christ was born, and God fulfilled, God came through on that. And you kind of think, man, he came through in a pretty miraculous way. What is the result of that? What is that, what is the result of the meaning? It means effectively that because God has kept his promises in the past, we can know that he'll be faithful to keep his promises in the future. We need to be looking properly and living expectantly 
for Jesus' return. I think too often we miss the promises of God because of the expectation gap. Has anybody, if you've ever heard of the expectation gap, it was originally a term that was developed in accounting between what was the expectation of the client and what was the expectation of the accountant in terms of what they can do. They found that people who owned businesses had so little understanding of proper accounting practices that accountants were doing things that the business owner didn't want. And business owners were doing things that the accountant was going, that's not very legal. And there was an expectation gap between the service and that's where it came from. But it's been applied all throughout um, every other aspect of business and life. You have it in parents where you talk to your kids and you're like, please, can you go and do this? And the kid walks off and does something else. There's an expectation gap. And they're like, I'm going to do it when I feel like it. And there's an expectation of going, no, no, you're going to do it now. And they have different expectations. And you've got to align those. And that's mostly parenting. It's just aligning expectations. Sometimes you need a, a faster alignment, just a, an, an adjustment. And other times it's a gentle alignment. But we have those. Our expectations very often of God's promises are deficient. So I want to, I want to ask you, why don't you wipe clean the slate of your expectations from God's promises? You see, so often I, the, the picture I had is it's like, it's like, when last did you do a join the dots picture? It's been a while, eh? But if you imagine a join the dots picture, that's kind of like some, sometimes what I feel like God gives me the, the promises. He just gives me like the next two or three dots. So I'm, not, I'm nowhere near drawing the picture, but I'm already coloring in. I'm going, that, that should be red, this should be green. And God's going, you, you, you don't even know what animal it is. Stop coloring in. And that's what we do with our expectations. Before we've even got this promise, we're like, man, running with that thing. And we're going, this is how it's going to be. And God's going, whoa, whoa, hang on. That's not what I said. Don't put words in my mouth. So let's clean the slate of our expectations of God. Get back to His Word. Get into the Word. What are the promises of God and how are those applicable to me? And allow God to work those out through us. Christ reminds us, Christmas and Christ reminds us of a few things. Is that firstly, God is faithful to keep His promises over and over again. The Bible tells us that the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Hebrews 10. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. 2 Peter 3. You see, we also, we don't like to wait. I don't know about you, but I am really bad at waiting. We make our kids wait on every Christmas morning. They can only open presents after church. That's why they're itching to get going. Even me talking a bit fast because I'm, I'm real bad at waiting. But God's not slow in fulfilling his promises. Abraham was given incredible promises. If you know the story of Abraham, when he was old, God said to him, I'm going to make you a great nation. Changed his name and everything. Abraham walked around as, as a, a barren family, effectively, no descendants, and going, listen, I know you used to call me blessed father, but from now on, you're going to call me father of many nations. Imagine going around to your friends and being like, listen, my name's changed. From now on, you're going to call me rich beyond measure. And you're like, hmm, you're, uh, you're not there yet, buddy. You're still just uh, working that job. And you go, no, no, this is what God's promised me. And I'm not saying that God's promised you that, but that's kind of the thing that Abraham did. Is he, took, he took the promise of God and he said, this is what God's going to do for me. And you know what's incredible about that promise? Not that Abraham got messed up and, you know, tried to short-circuit the promise. But it said Abraham never saw the fulfillment of, of that promise while he was alive on earth. Father of many nations. That came long after Abraham died. 
We are bad at waiting. And we color in those join-the-dots pictures of God's promises before we even know what's going on. The second thing that, these, that Christmas reminds us and the meaning of it, if we look at it, is that Jesus is the center of the story, not us. We look at Christmas and we go, what has God given me? What do, what do I get out of Christmas? But God's going, no, no, this is, this is going to divide history. You're going to count history in two separate halves, before he arrived and after he arrived. And you can change it from ADBC to BCE to ACE. You can change the letters. We all know what happened and where you're counting it from. Jesus is the center of the story, not us. And that is very difficult for most of us to get right. Get ourselves out of the center and put Christ at the center. The third thing is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises of God. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1.20, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. If you're wondering how that promise that God has given you is going to work out, look to Jesus. That's how it's going to work out. I don't know what the promise is. I don't know how God's going to work it out. But look to Jesus. That's how he's going to work it out. So what is our responsibility? To end with this, what are we going to do out of this? What is our, what is our response to the meaning of Christmas? And the first one is to believe the promises of God. Romans 4, 16 and 20 to 21, Paul writes this. He says, therefore, the promise comes by faith. Speaking of salvation, he says, the promise of your salvation and forgiveness of your sins comes by faith. We've got to believe it. That's, it's something that we have to do. It is a choice that we give. You know, I meet people all the time that are going, hey, man, you know, I'm just waiting for God to show himself so that I can believe. That's not really what belief is, is it? It is, but it isn't. You can believe in something that you see, but that's not the essence of a Christian faith. The essence of the Christian faith is going, man, I'm going to choose to believe that what God has said in his word and what he shows me in my heart through the Holy Spirit, the conviction he brings, is true and right. And that is the moment that faith is exercised. There's so many people going, man, I just, you know, I'm waiting for God to give me faith. He might. Maybe he will. But he doesn't often do that. It's a choice. We need to choose to believe God's promises. The promise comes by faith. Paul continues, yet he did not waver, uh, speaking about Abraham, he said, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Are you fully persuaded that God has the power to do what he promised? You know, one of the hardest things that I've found this year is praying for someone who's sick or injured because I prayed for someone earlier and I had faith that that person would be healed and they weren't. And it's been a, it's been a massive challenge for me going on. And we had an emergency on the weekend, on Friday, and I had to pray for a young man and I was going, yes, Lord, I don't care if I don't believe. You know, like that father in Mark chapter 9, where Jesus says to him, do you believe? And the guy goes, I believe, Lord, help me with my unbelief. That's what I feel like. And yet God did an incredible thing. And God came through in that young man's life. Do you have the power? Do you believe that God has the power to fulfill his promises? The first responsibility is to believe. The second responsibility we have is to rejoice in them. Rejoice in the promises, even though if they are fulfilled or not yet. Psalm 119 verse 162, it's a long psalm, says, I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil. I rejoice in your promise 
like one who finds great spoil. It's incredible. The psalmist is saying the promise is the great, a great spoil is like when you get a, a great reward or you find something amazing, like the spoils of wars, like the, the treasure you get. That's what he means. So he's saying the promise, I'm going to rejoice in your promise, like somebody who's found something worth, with high value. Do we rejoice in the promises of God that he's given us these incredible promises? Or are you waiting for the fulfillment? before you can rejoice. There is joy in the promise because of the promiser, because he is faithful. The first thing we need to do is believe. The second thing we need to do is rejoice. The third thing we do is share in the promises. You know, what does that mean? Ephesians 3 verse 6, Paul says this. He says, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. We get to share in the promise. The ultimate promise that we get to share in is Jesus, the one who's come and who will come. We get to share in that salvation. Never lose sight of the miracle that is salvation, that an unholy, unrighteous, undeserving sinner like me was forgiven of all my sins, made right and pure, seen before the Father as holy and true, so that I can stand in His presence and be with Him. That is a miracle beyond description and beyond words. We all want to see water into wine and blind people here, and that would be amazing. But never lose the wonder of the miracle of salvation that we get to experience. That is the greatest promise God could ever give, that new covenant that Jeremiah spoke of. You see, when we, when we see the promise and we get it and it's out there, if we don't share in it, can you imagine this? It's kind of like, Sitting at a feast, we're all going to, probably most of us are going to do family lunch now after this, and it's going to be a feast, yeah? The gammons are in, they're going slow, there's chickens and turkeys and ducks, and maybe you're going to bry, it's going to be incredible. You're going to be people around, you're going to have all the sauces you want, you're going to eat too much and feel bad about it later, but it's fine. I've learned a trick in Christmas, I learned it from a guy who was our home group leader many years ago. Um, he would lose weight every Christmas season. And I'd say to him, Pete, you haven't really lost weight. And he said, no, no, I budgeted to pick up 12, and I only picked up eight, so I've lost four. <laughs> we're all going to have a feast, and we're probably going to overindulge. But if we are not sharers in the gospel, that, that had no relevance to this, but it was just, but if we, we got to share in the gospel, can you imagine sitting at that feast, sitting at the table with everybody else, and just looking on, and just watching other people enjoy the meal, smelling all the aromas, and never, ever dishing up a plate of food. That's what it's like if we are not willing to share in the gospel, if we are not willing to share in the promises of God. We've got to step in and take those promises for ourselves as well, friends. We've got to believe, we've got to rejoice, and we've got to share in the promises of God. You see, if we don't do those things, if we don't partake, if we don't actively get involved in the promises of God, you are the only one holding you back from enjoying the fulfillment of the promises of God. And in the words of Bob Newhart, if that's what you're doing, stop it. I'll show you the clip someday. Just stop it and get involved in the promises. Share in them. So as you continue to celebrate this Christmas, and I pray that this day is a beautiful day for all of you, and you really do celebrate it, it's good to be joyful. 
You know, God says over and over in his word, let's celebrate, let's have a feast. God is there. There's no guilt in enjoying Christmas and in celebrating it. But remember that the meaning of Christmas is more than just the effects it has for us. Keep Christ at the center because he's the fulfillment of the promises of God. He's the future hope that we can rely on no matter what is going on around us. And if God hasn't fulfilled a promise in your life, keep waiting. Don't allow delay to turn into disappointment and lead you into disillusionment and depression because a delay is not a denial. Jesus' birth was thousands of years coming after the first promise of his arrival. And his coming again will happen, but not in our timing. So wipe clean the slate of your expectations. Choose to believe in the promises of God. Rejoice in them and share in them daily, even if you don't yet see them. And this is what will lead to a life of faith that is bigger than you could ever have imagined. A life that trusts God, a life that follows hard after Jesus and doing whatever he calls you to do. Let's live like that. And let's live in a way that changes our communities and our world because we are trusting in the promises of God, not in ourselves. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that, again, that you have given us the greatest gift that we could ever have imagined, that you have given us your very self. You have come and limited yourself in being a man. And Jesus, I thank you that you were faithful and obedient to come. You were obedient to dying, even death on a cross. I thank you that you overcame death through your resurrection and ascension and that you are now at the right hand of the Father where all authority resides. And we look to you, Jesus, this season. We look to you this day. And we ask, Lord, won't you speak your promises into our hearts? Won't you speak your promises over our lives? Show us, remind us. In every moment, Jesus, direct us back to the center. Direct us back to the greatest promise that has ever been given. And help us, Lord, to live radical lives of great abandon to this promise that is Jesus. This promise that you will be with us always to the ends of the earth, Lord. We want to be those who advance your kingdom wherever we go. We want to be those who share your gospel, who love on people who are far from you, Jesus. Help us to be faithful stewards. Help us to be faithful servants of your kingdom. Holy Spirit, I thank you that there is none like you, that you are God with us, and that even as we might not understand it, help us to believe and rejoice and share in the promise that it is better for us that Jesus left and that you are with us. Set us free from our own inhibitions, Lord. Set us free from our short-sightedness. Help us to lift our chins and look to the horizons of our lives and see the promises that you have spoken for us that are coming. We give you glory. We give you praise because you are worthy. You are holy. You are right. And you are true, Jesus. Amen.